Get in on the action and make your bet with Sports Interaction. Summer is heating up with baseball. Can the Jays make a run at the division? Oh, <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> uh, hey, but you can bet before the game, whichever way you think. Live and in play uh, at all your favorite teams and hot dog contests. Woo! Woo! Sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN or download the app to get started. It's 19 plus. And what do you have to do, Steve? Please play responsibly. Welcome to Nailing the Apex, everyone. I'm Tim Harini. Please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts as well. Write reviews. It really helps us grow the show. You can also watch us on YouTube. You can get me on social media at Tim Harini. Joining me today for Hungarian Grand Prix preview, Mr. Adam Wild. Uh, dude, thanks very much for taking the time to do this. How are you doing? Man, I'm thrilled to be here. I can't believe I get to come back again. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, this is this is cool. I get just like it, the thing is, is that like it was, it, it's neat to come back, especially on this weekend because of all that's going on with Daniel and, and, uh, um, just kind of the press conferences this morning and everything. So, uh, I'm pumped to be back, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, and dude, you, we can talk about McLaren later. Yes, we can. We can always <laughs> talk about McLaren. Always. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, let's start, but let's talk about Daniel Ricardo because, uh, first race back, obviously, uh, since, you know, being let go from McLaren, been doing a lot of simulator testing for Red Bull Racing. And, you know, we broke this all down in our emergency pod that we did last week. Um, interesting to, to note a few, few things from, you know, the press conference today. And I think like one of the big things is, uh, Ricardo saying that this was, uh, you know, it's a start and his dream is to basically get back to Red Bull racing, the yeah. big team. I don't know, Adam, Mike, he's got a long way to go, I think. Well, <laughs> it sure seems that way. I mean, uh, it's, it's sort of a, um, man, I, I, like, I, I, I think you got to set high goals, right? It's like, you know, what's the pit bull line? It's, uh, if, you know, reach for the stars and if you don't grab them, at least you're on top of the top of the world or something like it's just such a cheesy line but it's true right like if you don't have outrageous dreams uh, especially if you're super competitive and and you've you know per put your whole life into things then then what are you doing right like of yeah. course he wants to get back with the big team i'm just surprised at how open he's being about it because he's just got back into the red bull family sergio perez has had an up and down qualifying he's there's no question his racecraft has been there uh and so it's sort of like you know, I'm I'm like, man, I, I was hoping at the press conference today, they had him sat next to Oscar Piastri, which I thought yeah. was awkward enough. Yeah. I thought if Perez was going to be at that press conference, that was going to be weird. But Max Verstappen ended up being in, in the same press group as Daniel. So, and it, it ended up being a lot of fun. But had Perez been there, it would have been weird, but interesting. I think this, you know, obviously puts a lot of, pressure on on Sergio to 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 really perform I mean obviously the qualifyings haven't been very well over the past five races and eventually they're going to really need Sergio to to back Max up at at some point later on probably this season but most definitely into next season and I think if he can't really start to get to grasps with what he actually needs to do to extract the performance from the race car then yeah I mean obviously he's he's in trouble. I mean, he was, he was asked today. Um, Sergio was about it. You know, he first commented that he felt, you know, pretty, he felt sorry for, for Nick. Um, yep. and what had went down there and we can touch on that in just a minute. And he'd also said like, it was a very short experience. Um, it was pretty brutal in that regard for, 
for what happened to, to, to Nick. And he said, he's happy for, for, for Daniel to come back to the team. But at the end of the day, I mean, what do we expect him to say? Right? Like, is he, because he's not just going to come out of the gates firing. Right. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day. But I think uh, this puts a lot of pressure also on, on Daniel to perform because I mean, Yuki Sonoda also feels bad for, for Nick DeVries for, for leaving. Uh, Sonoda also um, praised, uh, Nick's feedback during their engineer debriefs and and how he went about doing that. He said it was like Nicky Lauda esque um, wow. in terms of how deep he went with his with his feedback um, during and after sessions. And I think for a driver like Daniel Ricardo, when you're kind of coming into this scenario, obviously you have to have an open mind and expect that you're not going to you know, set the world ablaze your first time out onto the, the racetrack or your first race weekend. But at the end of the day, I mean, Adam, he's going to have to be closer than what Nick was. And Nick was probably about on average two to three tenths, you know, away from, from Yuki. Um, I think for, for Daniel to have success here, he's going to have to really look to be beating Nick, I would say by, you know, probably race three, race four in this little stint of his. Right. And you hope that the, I mean, AlphaTauri has told us that they're going to, they're going to have some upgrades this weekend. Hopefully it puts them past Haas and Williams. I mean, uh, Williams has been on an absolute tear lately. Um, but I think, you know, when you look at the way Nick DeVries, like, have you seen that clip of, it's an Andreas Seidel clip. And I don't know if it's from Drive to Survive, but it's one of those type of shows. And, and this is when he was with McLaren and they asked him, what would you rather have? Uh, a guy who's difficult to deal with, uh, but fast, or a guy who's easy to deal with, but he's not, he's not fast enough. And he said, mm-hmm. I'd rather have the guy that's difficult. He's like, I can teach you not to be difficult. I can't teach you to be fast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I went through uh, the athletic put, to, put together like a, a list of like, you know, how Nick DeVries lost his seats, right? And he went through every single race. Uh, there were some highlights in there. There were some good things. But I wonder if this is a case of, buyer's remorse, right? They got a Red Bull got excited about what he was able to do with the Williams car last year, scoring points, you know, in his first race and that sort of thing. Um, and you know, a guy like helmet Marco, I, I think with him, sometimes it's more than just how you race. I think it's like, if he likes you mm-hmm. and him and Christian, I know that in the, in the Mark Webber book, helmet Marco held a, a higher sort of standing in the Red Bull team than Christian, uh, Horner did at the time when when Mark Weber was the secondary driver to Sebastian Vettel, but you know I wonder with you know we're a decade away, decade after that, Helmut Marcos eighty years eighty years old, uh, Christian Horner has now won five or six uh, world championships as the um, you know as the team principal, and then you know five or six drivers championships as well uh, for Red Bull, and I think. I think Christian's probably the guy without, you know, Dietrich Mateschitz there as well. Like, you know, when, when he passed away last year, that sort of was Helmut Marco's guy. And I wonder if, if all of that is playing into the fact that maybe Helmut Marco doesn't have the same sway on this team that he did anymore or that he, that he used to. And he was quite open with the German papers about the fact that Christian Horner was against this from the get-go. And we saw with um, Pierre Gasly, we saw with uh, Alex Albon, um, you know, when Christian Horto doesn't like you, your, your time is pretty much up. Like you're it's it, he decides he doesn't like you, whatever reason it is, you're probably toast pretty quickly. Yeah. I, you make a good point where it's kind of like, I don't, I don't know if like 
because like, Dietrich's not there to really protect, I think, Helmet anymore. And now mm-hmm. you've got this new, um, you've got these new, well, not new owners, but you have a new group that's mm-hmm. basically running this entire Red Bull sort of franchise and christian horner is the what is he is the president or C, yeah he's like president or team president and team principal of red bull racing mm-hmm. and so i think like there's 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 the lane that christian has to kind of stay in but i think like that lane for for helmet might be lost a bit without dietrich around anymore right and you make a good question like how much longer i think can he be put into or stay in the position that he's already in now granted he has like brought some real incredible talent to formula one right? sure like, has i mean half the grid is him he, oh yeah it's a big part of it for sure yeah. and so you have to like we have to acknowledge that but at what point i think the question is does this not you know, come to an end. Like when well, does that roadway end? And time comes for everybody. And I wonder, you know, cause it, formula one is outrageously political. Like I don't even think people realize even not just the drivers, but the managers. And I wonder helmets got helmets, a bit of a special case because no other team has a helmet Marco. It's like Christian mm-hmm. and helmet where yeah. everybody else has, you know, one person, you know, it's, with McLaren, they do have a team principal, but Zach Brown is sort of the public face total wolf at Mercedes. Um, you know, uh, 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 geez, I, uh, Gene Haas's guy. What's his name? Why, why can't I think of it right now? Gunther Steiner. Gunther you know Steiner. What I mean? like, yeah, like you got <laughs> you got a face of the management side, and and Red Bull has two faces. And I'm sure that that Christian and Helmet get along great. And I'm not suggesting that there's any sort of rift there. But if you're Helmet Marco, without that connection to the ownership of Red Bull in the same way that you had before, because he was personal friends with Dietrich. Mm-hmm. Um, if Nick DeVries is not doing well, that reflects not on Christian because Christian's going, I didn't, I didn't sign this. Uh, it reflects on Helmet, and I wonder if they make that choice quickly because um, they don't believe that Nick's going to work uh, and why keep him for the entire year. And we know that Red Bull ownership and, and you know, the sales team love Daniel Ricardo, And also he comes in, and, and, and I think the, 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 it, based on his performance last year, people are quick to diminish Daniel Ricardo as a driver. But I think you got to remember that this guy uh, was a fantastic driver, outperformed Sebastian Vettel when Sebastian Vettel was at his peak before he went to Ferrari. Um, he uh, was really the guy that, that Red Bull saw before he went to Renault as the 2019 champion that they wanted to be their number one driver. And then they wanted Max to take, it o- take over after that. Um, I do think that he has a ton of skill. Uh, I think the McLaren car last year was unacceptably bad. Um, and I don't think it was meant for a, a driver like him. And, you know, Carlos Sainz has said it was a weird car as well. And, you know, listen, the AlphaTauri car is not great. And if he gets points this weekend, it'll be a freaking miracle. But um, we got to remember, this is a really, really good driver with a track record. And I, for a team like AlphaTauri that's going to go through a brand change, that's going to need new sponsors next year, this is a pretty good guy to have on their list. I think that you made some interesting points there. I mean, if we look at, I mean, from a driver's perspective, perspective, uh, Daniel Ricardo at McLaren last season and the season before that, just not a car that really suited what, you know, like you said, like what Daniel actually, he does. I think he was trying more to emulate what Lando was doing with the car 
And as a driver, that kind of really messes up like what you're, you know, naturally ingrained and inclined to do with with a race car and right. something that you've trained for, you know, since you were a kid. And that's just it's ingrained in you and it's hard to kind of get it out. And there are only a few drivers out there who can really adapt like that and who mm -hmm. can change really quickly to meet what that what the car actually needs that there's not a lot of talent around that it actually can pull that off there are, aren't few and for daniel i think that's that's a blow to the confidence and then it's just sort of like a downward spiral and you know red bull when they brought him back and i remember christian horner saying like they, they didn't even recognize him yeah didn't, right? he didn't was, drive like he the old daniel i think right no and they were looking at what he was doing on the sim and they just they had no clue you know where this guy learned all of i guess they assumed that they would be bad habits for daniel which they're probably right about that and i think for i think for ricardo getting that getting that break because i i know talking to him a few times throughout the season so far he just seemed very reinvigorated every time i talked to him like he was he was fresh like mm -hmm. taking that time off was good for him mentally to reset or you know exercise the demons whatever you want to do and then get that time in the simulator he got to work with his uh, old race engineer from red bull um simone renee and i think for him working with simone again really helped him get back that confidence get back mm -hmm. to the old daniel ricardo get back to the way um he used to drive and then from there getting that tire test and i think the mentality for for Daniel was just to go in and to have fun. And I think that's something that was really lacking when he was at McLaren for those few years and maybe even Renault for a little bit, just yeah. missing out on being back in that Red Bull racing sort of family where he was comfortable and he was having fun. And but on the other side of it, you know, he was the one who left. So, yeah. And I, I think he left because he wanted to prove to himself that he could, but I think at the end of the day, I, I, I mean, he obviously had, there, there's been a lot of ch chatter about like his new agents versus what he had at the time when he left Red Bull. And I know he's with CAA now. And from what I've heard, CAA, had they been advising him at the time, would have never let him leave. They would have, they would have kept him there. Uh, because of what you just said, Tim, it's really hard to adapt to new systems. And he, people forget his second year at Renault, people write that off. He was fifth in the driver's ch championship. He was really, really good. Um, and for a car that, you know, you know, that engine, that, that power unit was not great. Uh, there's a reason why a whole bunch of teams, including Red Bull stopped using it. Uh, you know, they, there's a reason why Mercedes is basically Mercedes and Ferrari are essentially the whole thing outside of, uh, you know, a couple of cars right now. And it mm -hmm. used to be all Renault power units, right They, you know, along the, along the grid. So all that is to say, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, it's thrilled, to, thrilled to have them back. But I also think there's a lot of business decisions here that that make a lot of sense for him to be back. And I think that anybody out there denigrating his performance, especially you can't. Obviously, I hope he does well this weekend, but I'm not sure how well this track lends itself to what the AlphaTauri car is, which I, I mean, I don't know what that car does well. Like it doesn't do straightaway speed well. It has bad balance. It doesn't corner. The brakes aren't great, which was a problem at McLaren. So I, I'm not totally sure what we expect, but what would you see, Tim, as a success this weekend? Not just for him, but for Yuki and for that team. Just, I mean, obviously the top line of success would be to score a point. 
right? To get okay. that to get that car yeah. into a tenth place position, which I think is going to be extremely difficult. They brought, you know, this brand new upgraded uh, Alpha Tauri to the British Grand Prix. I remember going down there and taking a look at it, like one to one, me in the car, and I'm just like, this thing is. <laughs> I was looking at pictures on my phone, and then I'm looking at the car in person, and I'm like, this thing is like totally different. They've changed the entire thing, and. Yeah. That takes a while for a team to understand, you know, what they've done, what they've got, where does it go? And now you're bringing in a new driver. And so I think for, for Daniel, it's, it's try to learn as much as you can your first few races. Don't do anything stupid and just keep it on the tarmac and try and keep close to, to Yuki Sonoda, who's had a lot of time uh, in this car. One of the things I think that will help Daniel is the fact that, you know, regaining that confidence in the sim, doing well in the RB19 and having that RB19, you know, uh, mirror the Alpha Tauri a little bit in terms of the driving style, because, you know, Max likes a car that's pointy, right? He has a nice loose rear end. He can chuck it into the corners. With yeah. this current regulation, it, these cars lead to more understeer. They're a lot heavier. They're not as pointy on the front end. And for Daniel, he drives a little similar to what Max drives. Like if we always go back to like 2017. There's a slide to it, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, they were and they were very close in terms of pace and qualifying on each other. I think like for Daniel, it's trying to understand what he's got underneath him mm-hmm. and not trying to do what other drivers are doing, do what he does and try and get the car to conform more to what he does. And if the car doesn't want to do that, then as long as he's just giving his best effort, I think that's, what's important. I think it's when he starts to think about changing that driving style that, you know, he's really going to screw himself. So I think, I think he's going to, I think he's going to be okay. I think he's going to run really well. And honestly, I think by, I think by the time we get to race five of this thing, I think he's, I think he's performing relatively close to Yuki, if not outperforming him. And and then at that point, Red Bull's got to be happy with that. Right? I think so. Yeah, for sure. And I think that then that puts that pressure on Sergio Perez that, you know, we've spoken about that he needs to be better. And, you know, Christian Horner has confirmed that Sergio has a contract for 2024 uh, to be back at the team. And well, I mean, so did I, so did Nick DeVries. Yeah, and I was just going to say that. Right. But I don't know how locked in Sergio's contract is nobody knows because of the way that driver's contracts are structured and they're weird. And so for, for Sergio, I think for him, it's just try and start to perform again and qualify and get this car back to where it should be, which is in, you know, the top two, top three at least and help max out. And I think that's, that's all that they can ask for from Sergio. But if he's not doing that, yeah, I don't know, Adam, how much longer he's at the team next season, right? Well, so I wanted to. It's funny, I you know, we I always bring up Mark Weber because I love that book so much. It was so good, and it gives oh, you it's a great book. It, it gives you such a a great look into motorsport and and motorsport in in F one, but not not just that, but also the GT series that he was in, Mercedes and Porsche that he was racing for. Um, so Mark Weber said this week, and he's involved, right, because he's Piastri's agent. the The press asked him about Sergio Perez. Uh, and he said, um, that, and it was, how did the quote, he said basically that he wasn't, he didn't say that he wasn't racing well. He's like, anybody can pass somebody in that car during a race. He's like, even I can do that. And I'm an old fart. And I wondered what you thought about that quote, because obviously Mark's got no skin in this game. Oscar Piastri has a pretty damn good spot at McLaren. 
Um, that car is on the, the up and up. And the one thing about McLaren is they're always going to have the funding, right? They're always going to be considered one of the major teams, um, even if they constantly disappoint us and break our hearts. And I'm, uh, uh, although except for last week, man, that was so great. Um, but I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, I'm looking at him saying that, and this guy has significant history with the Red Bull team and the Red Bull program. Um, and I wondered what your thoughts were on something like that. Is that how Red Bull looks at it? Do they look at it like, listen, it's great that you're passing people, but it's the best car in the grid. You should be, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's it's uh it's a solid point. I think they I think you know one of the ways they yeah that they must factor in is like what are the what are the things that are taking away from the performance first and then de- dealing with that and then moving forward. I but I think at the end of the de- at the end of the day if if the car is there, I mean it 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 should be on the podium. It should be battling for, you know, second place. He should be pushing max verstappen and granted it it is max verstappen we're talking about here a driver who is at the peak of his powers who is generational talent um but you know looking at where sergio was at the start of the season where he was actually doing really well like yes oh he's great you know heading into miami he's in contention to potentially take over the lead in the championship and then Max kind of put his foot down and that was sort of the end of it. And it's kind of, it looks like this car has just gone away from what Sergio is, is, is good at doing. And it's gone more towards what Max is good at doing. And, and I think if you're going to have a second driver, you have to have a second driver who's able to adapt to that. Right. So right. I, it, this, I don't know. It could be tough for Sergio from here on out. There's going to be a lot of pressure put on him for sure. How and, do you think he feels right now? I, I mean, he probably he would probably say, "Yeah, I feel fine. I'm feeling good. Whatever." But I'm like deep down inside, I think he knows that like he's under pressure here, right? Like they've brought Ricardo in, like they're not messing around anymore. Right? They're okay, just, they're not. I think Liam Lawson. I think for them to not bring him over, which I thought, and so did a lot of other people, thought that that was going to be the driver that was going to replace Nick DeVries because of how well he was doing in super formula, but for them to say, Hey, we want him to win the championship there and, and learn that tells me that by bringing a driver like Daniel Ricardo, who you believe is going, is going to be back to the old Daniel Ricardo. That is what they needed to put pressure on, on Sergio. That's what I think, whether or not I'm right. We'll find out. <laughs> I guess. Well, it does make sense. You could see a Ricardo Verstappen and then, uh, and then like a Sonoda, Lawson, right? Yeah, and I, I think I so. wanted to ask you too, and I'm sorry. I know we spent a lot of time on Red Bull, but they are kind of making all the news. Um, sure. There's a lot of chat about this rebrand for AlphaTauri. So you know, it was Toro Rosso, it's now Alpha AlphaTauri. They're going to bring in some sort of new brand and bring it quote unquote closer to the Red Bull family. Um, what does that mean? Um, so from from what I understand so far is that they're trying to one get the team closer to the original like get the team closer to red bull racing uh to get do a full rebrand on it like what what do they want this team to speak of because when you say you know scuderia alpha towery i mean not a lot of people know what that is right, right. And it's like it's your own clothing brand but like is, is it their clothing is it their clothing brand by the way 
I mean, this is the this is the like a this is like Red Bull's whatever it is Red Bull's clothing brand that they decided to to slap on the side of this car and like hope to sell you know top end clothing, which is you got to you got to win races to do that. Yeah, that's what I think too. I mean, or or you need to at least the team needs to be into the top three, top four. We need to be talking about them like we talk about Ferrari and Mercedes sure. and Aston Martin. I think for for this team. I don't know what a rebrand would look like. I miss Toro Rosso. I thought that was an awesome idea, an awesome team. I, I really enjoyed um I, I really enjoyed their cars. I really enjoyed what the cars looked like. There I could differentiate between the two, like the mm-hmm. Red Bull Racing and Toro Rosso. And then on top of all of that, it's my my next question for them would be how similar is next year's car going to look to this year's RB nineteen? Right. Because I'm sure they can share. Can they share data? Yeah, they can share stuff. I think there there is a fine line of like how close can that car be to uh, like the Alpha Tauri next year to be to the RB19 of the previous year because of what Racing Point did with the Mercedes. Right, back where they in, bought the Mercedes, yeah. <laughs> like back in, in 2020 of how yeah. like similar those two cars were. And so I think there's there will be question marks over that because then you're taking a team that would be, I don't know, at this point, it's like dead last. You would take that team and they would probably be up into the, you know, top four, top five. Because next year, even. Like, yeah. yeah, that RB19 is still going to be competitive next season. Like that whole package, right? They need to develop it a little bit more themselves, but it'll still be very competitive. Um, and so I think that, you know, that is a big part of what they're saying when they need to get them closer, right? Because at the moment, you know, you have Red Bull Racing that are at the top and you've got your you know, your sister team or brother team, little brother team, whatever you want to call it at the very bottom. Mm-hmm. And you need to get them closer to, to the top. I think if you're going to own two teams, I think that's what you got to do or you yeah. go and sell it. Right. You just, well, and, and it's too, it's too valuable to sell. Like it's so weird so. to say, but like the, the value of that team is skyrocketed. What, what did William sell for three, four years ago? 150 million. Yeah, it was like that. I want to say it was around 180 like USD. Yeah, so For- Forbes had him at close to seven hundred million, I think, this week. <sighs> Woo! And now that's a part of that is the fact that they've performed well. Damn. Like this is the first Williams car that's been competitive since like Valtteri Bottas was racing for them. But yeah, I mean, when you think about it, uh, or maybe that's a maybe that's a mean to Felipe Massa because he was very good too with a, uh, a good driver. But I, 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 I think that. You know, first off, the Williams family's got to be just kicking themselves. Uh, you know, they had to sell, but it's a, it's a real bummer. The second thing is, you know, you look at the 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 value of a team like what Toro Rosso would have been, which would have been, you know, seventy eighty million dollars ten years ago, um, to what they could be if they're a mid pack team. Look at what Alpine just sold part of their their team for to yeah. Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney and that whole group. Think about what Toro Rosso could be or yeah. AlphaTauri could be. Huge yeah. money. Huge. But they got to win. They got to start winning. They got at least like every two to three years, you got to have like a Gasly moment where, oh my God, they won. Yeah. Uh, and I think like for Formula One, it's in their best interest to have, you know, these surprises happen within the sport, not having you know, one driver, one team always winning, right? Mm-hmm. They need to find ways of getting more convergence, getting that faster. So you're getting more unknowns because, you know, it's like you and I have talked about before, the more like we get more unknowns within Formula One, the more this sport like will go to another level and it'll just keep going to those 
to those new heights, right? And I think for Formula One, that's what they want. It's not to plateau at a certain point. It's to just keep raising um, that bar, which, you know, will, you know, it, it, this will come up in a different conversation at another time. But with the 2026, you know, regulations, yeah. what is that going to look like? Do they really want to go and do that? Right. That will be a conversation to have I mean, in the future. For I sure. like the new regulations. I know there are a lot of people that don't, but I, I, sorry, I like what's, I like what's happening right now. Yeah. You take Red Bull out of it, and yeah. I understand that they're, a, you know, in a different league. It's the most competitive Formula One season I've ever seen. Hundred percent. Like if you, you, you said it perfectly. You remove Red Bull Racing, and you've got four four teams that would essentially be battling for a constructors' championship right now. And you've got several drivers who would probably also be in contention to be battling for yeah. a driver's championship. That's incredible. And it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> you know what, I, Tim, I also like about that is, and no disrespect to people who have been paid drivers uh, in the past, but it does eliminate that from, from Formula One, really. Because now, now it really is, oh, performance actually does equal monetary value, right? You're... Your, your franchise value, if you own the team, the sponsors coming to the team, um, it's going to eliminate the guys like, you know, I think it was, it was Pastor Maldonado was like a government-funded driver, was he not? And and oh, yeah. was it Pastor? Or who was it? There's there a few of them. There was like, um, you know, obviously uh, Nikita Mazepin comes to mind. Um, and and so what will happen with this is as it keeps going, as you, you know, you get four legitimate people, five legitimate teams who could could win a race. Um, you're going to have just the best drivers in the world. And it is going to come down to the best driving. And that is how you take that out of it. I know for years and years and years, the concept of, you know, a paid athlete coming in has been like for people that don't pay attention to, to motorsports are like, what? How is that even possible? Um, so I think it's kind of cool that um, – that this is happening and, and you really see the, the competitiveness. I mean, look at, um, look at Ferrari going like, uh, I don't know if you, did you see the press conference this morning with Carlos Sainz? I did. What did you think? He, Cause his answer was like, well, we, you know, it's going to matter track temperature. And I was like, Shh, I've got you on my grid rival pool. Do not mess this up for me, Carlos. Like, are you kidding me? But that's <laughs> you didn't how close, that confident. I, I, but that, that's how close this season has, has been because you, you're finding that teams are, We'll take McLaren, for instance, right? You had a team that was a second off of the pace. They found a second in like a, an upgrade. Yeah. So the upgrades are showing themselves to be extremely important every time you go to a new race because you're clawing back little pieces of performance. But on top of that, you're fa factoring in like, how does the car use the tire? What type of corners do we have here? Because there are now, it's now being... um being looked at as we're going to a tight, twisty circuit like Hungary, that's probably going to favor a team like Aston Martin. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to go to a, a track like Spa, fast, high-speed corners, your car needs lots of downforce. That's probably going to you know, be beneficial to a team like McLaren, like a team like a Williams to actually jump into those points-paying positions and for McLaren to have more success again. And so... Tire temperature is also factoring in. How does the car use the tire? How much you know temperature can the car generate into the tire? Those are starting to be factors. Mm -hmm. And in the race as well, like do you have a good qualifying car? If you have a good qualifying car, have you set it up well for the race? And if not, well, then you're gonna be like Haas, right? Yeah. You're gonna, you know, you're like Nico Hulkenberg pumps in a good one and then drops to the back. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, what what is going on with them? They oh, just man. 
What a, it's, it's a mess. It, well, it's it's trying to understand. It's like all of these other teams that we're talking about here is that trying to understand what kind of car do they have? How does it work? What ride heights suit the car better? And these are all, we're all talking, like we're talking small little things that are making huge differences because of these new regulations. And that's why we've had such an exciting season in terms of that midfield or I guess second place team all the way down. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like you had said, you know, it's because the regulations are working. It's just that Red Bull has hit on something at first. They, and they have a genius. They have a genius running their engineering program. Adrian 100%. Newey is, he's the Tom Brady of race engineering. Um, Want to touch on uh, the an 11th team coming into formula one. There were some reports flying out this week. Um, and I could talk to this a little bit more from the British Grand Prix, but being at that uh, particular event, but there are reports flying out there that Andretti global will probably get um, their, uh, what do I want to call it? Basically their submission pushed forward by the FIA, which is sort of the first door that Andretti global needs to kind of go through uh, to get to the next step of trying to get uh, an Andretti team onto the grid with some GM backing. Uh, the other team being High Tech, that was another one that mm-hmm. was mentioned. And then there are two other ones, but I don't think they really have a have a shot. But for Andretti in particular, I think uh, they have a legit shot at this. Adam, it was interesting because, you know, when I was sitting in the press conference with Total Wolf uh, two weeks ago at the British Grand Prix, I mean, he was... Uh, strongly against having another team on the grid unless they brought some significant value to Formula One. And Stefano Domenicali actually kind of echoed that as well. He he feels comfortable with just 10 teams at the same time. Now, granted, Stefano is the, the president of Formula One, but Liberty Media is the one that owns it all. So for Liberty, I would like to know where their thoughts are in terms of having an 11th car onto the grid and do they bring that sort of expansion fee and how much is it going to be? Because in the Concord agreement that everyone has signed, it should be about 200 million, but looking at where formula one is now, I mean, it's gotta be over 600 million. It's gotta be hundred percent. Well, the, the, so there, there there's, I was watching something yesterday on the MLS um, and the expansion fee for an MLS team, I think there's one going to San Diego is $500 million. Uh, the Vegas golden Knights in the NHL. And I think the NHL is actually the NHL and the MLS are two leagues to watch. And I know Liberty's watching them because they're doing the best job with expansion. The Vegas golden Knights spent $500 million just for the franchise tag. The Seattle Kraken spent 750 million. And they're saying for teams like, you know, if there's going to be a team in Houston or Atlanta or, you know, wherever else it's going to go next, a uh, billion dollars. And, what, you know, why shouldn't it be that for mm-hmm. Formula One? They, they should be that. But I, the other thing that, that, that Toto Toto's going to be against any new competition because that's his job. He needs to, he needs to keep uh, the competitors to, you know, to nine other teams, not 10 other teams or 11 other teams. Reality is we've had 12 teams on the, on the grid before, you know, that Mm -hmm. has happened. It is possible to do it again. Uh, The cars are huge now, so it's going to make the garages a little cramped. But what I think is sort of the most interesting part is the fact that Liberty has broken into the United States in a way that 50 years of formula one never could. You're Mm -hmm. talking about some of the greatest drivers ever, Ayrton Senna, Michael Schumacher, um, you know, just, those are just two names, but you can name a b- whole bunch of people 
Um, and none of them broke the North American market like Liberty did with Netflix. You know, it's really, that's what it comes down to. We now have three races in the United States, one in Canada. Um, are you telling me that Liberty is going to be okay with them not having an American team? And I'm not talking about Haas. Haas is an American name. Uh, they are really the only American-based team, but Cadillac, the brand. You can keep that out of Formula One. And I mean, it's a good rebrand for Cadillac because they're sort of known as the old man's slow, boring car. Um, they are. They're like, they're, every time I see a Cadillac, I'm like, who spent money on that? Um, you know, like you ever say, you ever look at those Cadillacs and go like, what kind of weird misshapen polygon video game freaking thing is that? Like, and, but I love the CTSV. Cool. I love the CTSV. That car's oh, badass. That Okay. Okay. I'll get you on that one. Very I'm with badass. you on that. But there's so many that you're like, what the hell's going on here? Like the Escalades basically saved the brand. And I think, I think Cadillac, the business is looking at this jump into for, Formula One as a way to go, okay, this is how we get cool. Like, like the McLaren road cars and the, you know, the Mercedes AMG GTSs and the, you know, whatever else, you know, uh, Ferrari's a Ferrari, right? Yeah. Um, but that's the way that they can reform their business plan and get younger because frankly, people that buy Cadillacs are just too old to buy them now. They need a new, they need to get younger. And, and I, I look at, I look at this from, from Formula One's perspective, from Liberty Media's perspective, Andretti's such a great name in racing as well. There is no loss here. All this comes down to is what's the fee? And I'm, I'm with you. It should be five or 600 million bucks. And I think Cadillac and Andretti will have it. And they will bring in fantastic sponsorships. And they'll, they'll buy good drivers. You know that right off the bat, they're going to have a really strong driver lineup. And one of them will be an American. Oh, for sure. Hopefully it's Colton Herta or yeah. like Kyle Kirkwood or someone like that. Like you, to have more exciting talent coming into Formula One, you know, can only help Formula One. And I think you need, I mean, yes, you've got, you've got Haas, you know, they are an American team, but I think you need, you need just a little bit more American involvement as well to kind of, you know, take, take the sport again, just to a tiny another tier. I mean, they're not going to, you know, take this thing to the big time. No, but I, I, I really, I really feel strongly about having another team on the grid, uh, giving young drivers a, another place to go. I don't think 20 seats are enough. I mean, for the most part, if we take a look at their formula two pipeline, when the hell does a driver ever really get the chance to come from formula two and jump into Formula into one. F1, right? It's yeah. slim to none. I mean, Felipe Drugovic, uh, incredible last season. He's a reserve driver, right? Like, with, yeah. When's he going to get a chance to get into an F1 car? I mean, the more sort of teams that uh, can be sustained and can bring value and can pay that expansion sort of fee, uh, then I think they should definitely look at it and recognize it and see like, okay, well, how how does this help our younger drivers as well? Because they're the stars of the show too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you need, that's the way I need, look at it. You need, a, um, uh, you need like, cause it's a very European sport. There's no question. That's what's, that's part of the, the joy of formula one is that it is not fully Americanized. Yeah. I do think having 100%. a, um, I do think having an infusion, infusion of American business has not been the worst for formula one. I mean, I think there's, Certainly, the the American business principles have really benefited the sport over the last five or six years. 
And, you know, five or six years ago, we didn't have any American brands associated. Like Ford pulled out with Jaguar in 2008 during the crash, right? Terrible team, just awful forever. Um, And, you know, I think we, we haven't had an American brand. How do we not have a General Motors? How do we not have a, now we're going to get Ford with Red Bull. Um, You know, uh, I don't expect Daimler Chrysler to be a part of it. (laughs) Anytime soon, <laughs> but I'd like to see, I'd like to see Cadillac, like a GM involved. We got Ford involved and then I'd like to see a team from Germany or Japan come in, you know, like I'd love to see a Toyota. Uh, I'd love to see Honda launch their own team. I'd love to see BMW come back in and that's 12. And that I yeah, think is like, perfect. Like launching a legit like team, not yes. just part partnering up with, with, you know, Aston Martin or partnering up with Red Bull or partnering up with another, um, team that's already on the grid yeah for sure i would you know i'd love to see a team like porsche actually come in and you know yeah. enter their audi. own team audi coming right? in is good i think like for the oem it's trying to understand like what's the cost benefit of it what are we getting back in return and then on top of all of that it's kind of like in the past i've always been a little skeptical with sort of oems kind of coming in because sometimes they've come in and then they've left just as quickly as as they've come in and it's kind of actually hurt the sport more mm-hmm. where I, I, I don't mind this OEM partnership with teams that are already current. Like I like the idea of Aston Martin getting Honda to actually come in and um, play ball with them. And same with Ford. I think that's actually a really great opportunity. I actually really like what Red Bull is doing in that situation, building, helping them build the actual engine and everything that goes with it. Um, but when we talk about trying to take this sport to another level, I mean, you know, being in at the British Grand Prix, you know, Brad Pitt's walking around filming a movie. <laughs> yeah. Right. Pretty so, cool. And so like, I, I, this is kind of like where I wanted to transition to where, you know, now you've got the, the, you know, the Hollywood, the strike is going on with the writers and the actors now for solidarity reasons. Um, but to see, you know, f1 starting to get into hollywood and stuff i mean that's it's crazy man like yeah like brad pitt was walking right beside me dude like at the british grand prix (laughs) we were walking like side by side i'm i'm walking into the media room he's walking he's walking down from the driver's briefing and i'm going for like a run because this is at night and he's still at the track and it's 7 30 at night dude and he's standing right beside me and i'm like uh. It looked like a pretty convincing team too, right? Like they've done the livery, they've done the, the the race suits. It all looks legit. Yeah. It reminds me of. Um, do you remember the Sylvester Stallone race movie? And I think it was oh, based. It was God. it was the IndyCar based movie. I forget what it was called, but it was driven. So, driven. I wanted so badly for that movie to be good because it. Oh my god! It, it also started in Toronto, which I love because oh. obviously you know the indie. But man, it was such a bad freaking movie. Terrible, man. So I think that set you know Champ Car back. No question. <laughs> yeah, no question. I I think oh for sure it set Open Wheel back, man. But like you know, obviously Premium Rush did really really well, right? Yeah, the, Rush the, was great. Yeah, or, yeah. so it was Rush or Premium? There was one was Rush. Like, Rush, and then there's yeah. Premium Rush, which is something else. I don't um, even know what that is. Rush was great. The James Hunt, <laughs> Nikki Lauda thing, that was a fantastic yeah, was thing. Yeah. Um, we need we need some of that pop culture. Infl- I, I got to ask you, is Brad Pitt as handsome in person as he looks? He's a little guy. Is he short? He's like a little guy. I'm like bigger than him. Like I'm, really? I'm, I'm big, but I mean like I'm, like I'm taller than him. No he's way. like he, They he's always shoot dude. him like he's like seven feet tall. Yeah, it's the angles, brother. Yeah, no kidding. 
I got to work on my angles. Huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. You and me both, brother. Uh, <laughs> as for that Brad Pitt movie, so I guess they will be doing some shooting uh, at the racetrack this weekend, but I think it's just with their um, stunt drivers, and they're going to be doing some pit stop sequences. They're going to shoot some stuff in the paddock, but yes, no Brad Pitt. None of the actors, I think, are will be there in any scenes. Um, they're kind of just still pushing on, but something new that is coming this weekend is a qualifying format, mm-hmm. um, which we can jump into really quickly. Yeah. Here. Explain so, this. Cause I don't, I don't, I haven't d- kind of jumped yeah. into this one. So I'm hearing this really for the first time. Yeah. But. Cause I've gotten a lot of questions about it on Twitter. People confused. So it's called the uh, alternative tire allocation. It was supposed to be launched at these, uh, in San Marino. So the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix, but obviously, um, that got canceled due to the flooding and everything that was going on within the region. Uh, so the next race up was hungry. And so here we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how it works. So usually um, teams are given, you know, free choice of tire during, during qualifying, you know, they teams usually end up running the soft compounds. Uh, but for this weekend, teams will have to use uh, the tires that are as follows. So in qualifying one, the teams will have to start on the hard tire and use the hard tire for qualifying one. And that's it. You can't use any other compound. Then into Q2, you get the mediums. That's all you can use. Q3, softs. That's all you can use. So this is this is going to force the drivers to be fast and push on every type of compound. And so instead of the drivers getting um, 13 tires within the weekend, they're only getting 11. Okay. And... They're getting, I believe, my math is correct, they're getting four mediums, four softs, and three hard tire compounds. And that's it for the entire weekend. And you have to give some of those tires back to Pirelli, which also hampers what you're what you're doing. So you as a driver, like you can't screw up on these tires. You can't lock like it's it's gonna be tricky for the drivers to wrap their head around this because you can't it doesn't afford mistakes in any session in your free practice sessions in your qualifying sessions. And then obviously into your race, you need to have uh, some tires left that you can actually push, use, get some performance out of. Um, I think for the qualifying, you know, it's going to force the drivers to really have to adapt, you know, their, their driving style, you know, for each different type of tire that, that they're getting. Um, if it rains during qualifying, then this whole thing goes out the window. Okay, and so we're hoping then, it doesn't. Yes, yes. But if it does rain, then it that it's gone out the window, and then the teams can choose whatever they want to run between the enters and the full wets. So um, I think the qualifying strategies will be interesting for like Q1, where it's mm-hmm. kind of like that's a tire that's going to last, but you've got to, you've got to get it into the window, and that usually takes a while. And so I see... I see teams like putting the cars in some higher fuel loads and just having them circulate and run laps until the tires in the right window to execute a couple fast laps. Um, so we'll definitely get more on track action for mm-hmm. sure. But I, I, I still, I'm going to have to see it first to see if it actually has an impact on the grid and where cars are, are going to be placed for sure. It's going to throw some surprises like yeah. 100%. But will it throw the surprises that we want at the teams that we want, right? Like we want to see someone else on the front row uh, other than Red Bull, right? Like we want to see another team take pole position other than Max Verstappen or Sergio Perez. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think I don't think that's going to I just don't think that's realistic unless one of them makes a mistake. I think so. Um, I think you're right. Even with the I mean, listen, with Sergio, it's obviously realistic that he's not on the front row because of what we've seen. But we also know Sergio is a very 
consistent driver, good, um, good, normally a good qualifier. Uh, the thing I'm interested in is who can heat up those those hard tires in Q Q1 fast enough. Yeah. And the team that comes to mind is McLaren because they are they have been all season having issues with overheating their tires. I'm like, this is great, good. Um, I mean, it, it, they can always. I mean, I want. We know they can get through Q1 anyway, but still, like that that's their that's their biggest issue is heating those damn tires up too much. So, um, I, I, I'm I'm curious about. I'm curious about that Q1. That Q1 is going to be wild because yeah, it's going to be good. Just because there's going to be a bunch of guys out there on cold tires, you know, and there's going to be a, a, so much complaining. I can't oh, wait yeah. for the complaints. <laughs> They're going to be like, everywhere, man. Gonna Lewis be Hamilton is going to be mad. You just know, right? And I love him. I love him, but he's going to be upset. <laughs> uh, let's go to Twitter real quick. So we got some questions. Uh, Ty Jagger, apologies if I pronounce your last name incorrectly. I'm horrible at that. Um, asks if you could pick the drivers for two new teams on the grid uh who would you select hmm for two new teams um put the drivers for two new teams assuming we're talking andretti cadillac and then uh high tech right I'm, I, that's what i'm gonna go with on that one okay i'm gonna say okay so if i'm if i'm bringing in a new team and so I guess we would need four drivers in total. Okay, my team one, I'm going to grab Lando Norris and Charles Leclerc. For my second team, and I'm just going with young talent here. For my second team, I'm grabbing, uh, ooh, that's tough, George Russell. And just because he's been kicking ass lately, Alex Albon. So, so I thought I took this question as like, okay, if every driver's available, yeah, sure, I would take those guys. But I want to, I want to challenge you even further, Tim. Let's, <laughs> let's, okay, let's say that 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 Audi's coming in this year, okay. uh, and we also have Andretti Cadillac and uh, and High Tech also. So we've got, you know, we now have twelve teams. Okay, with what okay. you know about the driver contracts. Who is racing in 2024 for those two teams, knowing that some of those guys are locked down? You know, like Lando's at McLaren until 25. We know that Sergio's got that locked down at Red Bull. However, we don't know, you know, we don't know if they want to make a move there. Who who do you think they would put in this year just to get crazy? Oh, man. Like this year, 2023? Yeah. Oh, boy. Um... I'd love to know. I would throw a ton of money at Lewis Hamilton. Okay. Like for 2024, right? Because we're talking yeah. like next season. Yeah, because Lewis isn't like that. That deal's not signed yet. Like, how is that I, deal not signed yet, by the way? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so I would offer him the stars, though. I would give him everything. The Brinks truck would literally be backing up to his front door. So, like, what, 60, 70 million pounds? Oh yeah, easily. Just unloading it. Just get all this out of here. Give it okay. give it to you. You come and you drive for me, so, right? That'd so that's awesome. I'm assuming that's Cadillac, right? Because they're gonna have the money. Yeah. Who, um who who would you have as Lewis Hamilton's second driver? Second driver. because uh, like Max is signed up. Cause I'm just trying to go through like all the drivers that are pretty much signed up for next season. Um mm -hmm. that are, I think are like top top line talent. Alex's Alex Albon's situation is a little unknown. Like I, mm -hmm. like I know, like obviously Williams really wants to hold on to him, but 
he he would be since the level that he's been performing at lately. I and I know you know Lando's snapped up. So is Charles Leclerc. So is George Russell. I would I would aim my sights at a young talent like Alex Albon for sure. Love him. Yeah, love him. Yeah, he's been also great. get him a seat that fix that's. That, you know, that isn't making him bleed every weekend. You saw that? <laughs> His shoulders are bleeding every weekend because of the seatbelt. I'm like, get the man a good seat. What? Like, is this hard? Come on. He doesn't need to be bleeding, Williams. Let's go. <laughs> uh, next question. So, if Ricardo, this is from Allison DeToni. If Ricardo does well the rest of the season, does Sergio Perez need to be worried about his Red Bull seat? Question. And how do you think Ricardo will do in the Alpha Tauri? And how long will it take? Uh, for him to get up to speed. Adam, I will add to that. Tim, should I pick him up in my grid rival pool? No. He's currently, no. <laughs> Not He's right currently the, the third lowest rated driver in terms of like money spent. Yeah. I think for uh, a reason. Not yet. Yeah, yeah. Not, not yet. yet, not yet. Okay, not yet. so what do you think? Where do you think he, step, he goes? Um, Does I think, he get out of Q1? I think, I think he gets out of Q, no, not this weekend. No, you think he's out in Q1 this weekend? Well, I haven't seen like the car with the upgrades. Like, how does he under does he understand it? Like, he has to learn, right? And plus, he's got a new qualifying format to deal with on top of all of that. Mm -hmm. And the car is going to change dramatically. And so for him, he's it's going to be a tough weekend, I think. But I think in the few races time, once he starts to get the grips with everything, he's going to be pretty solid. Okay. Um, I just don't, I don't see him getting out of Q1 this weekend. I just, I really don't. I think it's going to be difficult, but hope he does. It'd be awesome. It's a great story. I mean, yeah. the better, the better Daniel Ricardo does this weekend, the better it is for like all of us who talk about formula one and talk about, you know, racing in general, like it's just, it's better for us. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. So, um, I think, yes, Sergio Perez, should be worried for sure, especially if Daniel starts um, performing really well. And how do you think Ricardo will do in the Alpha Tauri? Yeah, like I said, I think it's going to take him a while to, to get up to speed. From Nick Ignatov, uh, what would what would you consider a positive result for Daniel Ricardo? Uh, in my mind, the car is a tractor, so if he gets yeah. to Q2, that's a huge plus. But realistically, <laughs> does he just have to beat Sonoda? for it to be a positive. Yeah. Pretty okay. much like it's, it's like, he's, he's going to have to, he's going to have to outperform Yuki Sonoda for this thing to, to have some legs. Um, and so yeah, if, the, a, if they're finishing, Danny Rick is finishing, if he's finished, sure. if he's finishing Sorry. between 12 to 16, are they happy? As long as it's in front of Sonoda, I think, yes. Okay. Because, you know, that he's got a, He's got to perform well and outperform Yuki. Um, from left front changer, F1 keeps playing with qualifying formats, complaining about space on track. That's true. I do prefer the IndyCar format. Split the grid for the first round to leave room 10 for 10, separate teammates even. No games with providing toes. Q2 could be... 12 cars, then 8 or 10 for Q3. I don't know, Adam. Do you think Formula 1 should really play with their qualifying format or do you like it the way it is well indy there's like 40 cars yeah 27 so, is a lot like, yeah like, i'm sorry like it's just it's like it's like holy crap there's like so yeah. many drivers yeah, yeah so i think that they have to for safety reasons what i like about formula one are the games i like yeah. that that there's traffic i like that there are toes i like all that stuff 
Yeah, me too. Um, it forces drivers that otherwise wouldn't work together to work together. Um, I, I like the fact that there's traffic on on the track, and that you know if you don't get your if you don't get your lap in early enough, like a lot of those guys just chill out in the pits for the first five minutes. It's like it's like Haas and Williams who are out there on their own. Go out and run a lap. Go set a time early, yeah. and then go back to the pits and hang out for a bit and see where everybody's at. That's what I think you should do. Um, so yeah, I, I like all the games. Yeah, me too. It creates more drama, uh, <laughs> more uh, more complaining. Yes, please, more complaints. I love that. <laughs> this is great. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I, I like the qualifying format as is. Um, Adam, thanks very much, man, for doing this. I really appreciate you taking the time. It's Thank awesome you. to always have you on and talk racing. It's always a lot of fun. <laughs> I love it, Tim. Thanks for having me. It, it was yeah, so anytime. fun to fun to hang out. What are you doing this weekend? Oh man, I'm I'm flying to Washington State for my cousin's wedding, and uh, so it's funny. I'm getting on a plane. The plane leaves tomorrow morning at Pearson Airport at six a.m. Yeah, Ooh. it's gonna it's gonna be a tough day. And then it's, so it's, we fly into Seattle, then we go to Spokane. Um, so it's a two flighter. Um, so in between all of that, uh, I'm going to be watching free practice on the plane. Uh, I will pay for the in-flight Wi-Fi. I don't care. Uh, and then, um, and then of course, like, you know, I'm de- definitely going to be watching on Sunday, watching Daniel Ricardo get back at it. And you know, it'd be cool being on the West coast. It'll be er- really early in the morning. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it'll be fun to watch that. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I will not miss this weekend. I'm going to, I have the F1 TV app for a reason. <laughs> awesome. Adam, thanks man for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, I'm Tim Haraney. You've been listening to nailing the apex. Please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five star rating and a follow singles. That podcast writer review is like I always said, helps us a lot. You can watch us on YouTube. If you want more from me you can get me on social media at Tim Haraney, we will be back Sunday, following the Hungarian Grand Prix for a breakdown of the race.